0: Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, episode 74, we're talking about riding with a partner, not so much the actual ride, but the things that you should be doing in the planning process if you're going with a partner, if you're going even with a group, anyone else you're riding with, you need to do some of these things before, at least consider some of these things before you head out on an adventure. We're also talking about riding in extreme heat. We've got some tips from those who have ridden through some very, very hot temperatures, all that and more coming up. And before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people who have helped Adventure Rider Radio and Raw incredibly this past month with support of $50 or more. Here we are. Chris Holton, Alan Call, Norman Masson, Robert Dawson, John Sirabasi from Emmaus Moto Tours. Thank you all so much. Boy, it's, it's great to have people who get behind the show like this. It's built on a model of advertising and listener support. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out like you just heard me do on this show. We also have some very cool Adventure Rider Radio stickers and we would love your monthly support on our Patreon account. All the information on how to do this is available on our website adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Now just in case Raw's a new discovery for you, the flagship show that we do, it comes out every week. That's called Adventure Rider Radio. Again, at the website adventureriderradio.com. Here we go, Adventure Rider Radio Raw for March 2022. Recorded live from the Canoe S Media Studio, deep in the boreal forests of North America, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I'm joined by my regular esteemed Overland co-host, starting with Sam Manicom in the UK. Sam, is it afternoon or morning for you? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's um, early evening, so it's right. um, getting on for half past eight and it's, um, it's pitch black and it's almost a full moon and yeah, you can see the world.
0: We also have Shirty Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks in Australia. Good morning to the both of you.
2: Good morning, good morning. Good, the, good morning, um, everyone. Dawn is just breaking and it's wet. It's raining. We haven't had much rain this summer, so it's an unusual day for us.
3: You know, I went for a ride yesterday on rejuvenated Big Red and I uh, got a bit wet. But other than that, it's been pretty good. Weather's mm. been good. Riding's been good apart from... Yeah. Anyway, I'll tell you about Big Red Blade of the Demise. Yeah. Red. but wa- she's come back from the dead.
0: I want to. I want to hear about that. Michelle Lampfer <laughs> is in the. Well, where are you, Michelle? I don't know. You normally you're in the Black Hills of South Dakota, but I don't know where you are now.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm always on the move. No, I'm still here in the Black Hills, enjoying a nice sunny day, and our snow is nearly melted. We about a week ago we had a foot of snow in Custer, South Dakota. And as of today, we're down to about one inch left. So spring must be on the way.
0: Mm, yeah, we, we got hit as well. <laughs> hey, hey, did you manage to get on your bike this month?
4: Uh, no, I haven't because of that one foot of snow. <laughs> uh, how about last month? <laughs> but I, uh, I did get on it in February. Oh. I did not in January though. So that actually... It's the only well, January. Yeah, so <laughs> far. Hopefully I, I can keep it to just that. So yeah.
0: Grant Johnson is in British Columbia, Canada. Grant, Hello.
4: Hello,
5: everybody, and I'm looking forward to spring. We've got flowers, we've got bulbs coming up, and I've actually put my hand on a couple of the bikes to say, hey, you're going to get a ride soon real soon
0: now. So just wait. You know, I've got a friend I chat with pretty regularly and he's now in California and he's just so Mm -hmm. lucky. I mean, he was in Texas before he's in California now. And he's just so lucky because he can always ride. He doesn't, he doesn't know the feeling, you know, that we have those people that have winters, I think Grant and it's just you and I who uh, and, and Michelle, uh, the three and of us who, who experience the winter and, and can't ride and and feel that that sort of desperation to to get on the motorcycle. This spring means <laughs> oh, so much. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yes.
2: very uh, much.
5: Come soon, soon.
2: Well, yeah. you choose to live where you choose oh. to live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know.
0: You know that's not even completely accurate. I've got to go after that, Shirley, because I was born here. I didn't choose to be born here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You know, and yeah. I—I like believe t- me, I have thought about suing my parents for this because it seems to be really common now. These <laughs> lawsuits for all kinds of things. I wonder if I could go after my parents for this. They're both dead, unfortunately, but um, I thought about it. You know, yeah,
5: and I feel really guilty yeah, because I I've got an Australian passport. Like I could live in yeah. Australia too. And you and you pick they, Vancouver. And you and I pick British Columbia. I choose to live in British <laughs> Columbia. <laughs> ah, well, things may change. You never know. We have like we have to have five seasons. Is you never know. <laughs> Yeah, Brian. Uh, we're going to talk
0: about um, the first thing we're going to talk about is, is riding with a partner and making it work. But Brian, I, I want to ask about Big Red before we get into this. So Big Red is uh, is what?
3: Big, big Big Red is my beautiful old BMW GS Adventure from two thousand and eight that we bought, ben brand new to travel the world on. And it's done us proud everywhere in the world, um, hasn't missed a beat, put up with my hand it attempts to, to service it on the road, put up with crappy fuel in it in all pl- sorts of places like Russia and everywhere else. And um, uh, I've done 332,000 kilometres on her, and she's running beautifully. So I'm off uh, riding through the hills just for a couple of days, just do a couple of stories for a magazine, cruising along at about 100 kilometres an hour, and everything sort of went really bang. And um, she dropped a valve, uh, uh, an exhaust valve, um, in the right hand cylinder, and uh, that welded the spark plug into the head, destroyed the right hand head. Um, I, I did find the valve, it was lodged in the top of the piston. No, so, oh, that's good. handy uh, where, where it should have been. Yeah, yeah, really handy. <laughs> at least you got so, it. <laughs> yeah, thanks.
0: <laughs> he did say <laughs> drop, not lost, right? So, makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Have look, you still got this, be... Brian? Because, I mean, it's going to make a wonderful work of art. You could mount that on the pedestal, you know, this is this is big bridge.
3: <laughs> so, Brian, you rebuilt uh, this thing? Uh, well, I had a choice of rebuilding it at 331000 K engine or picking up an engine from a 2008 with 60,000 kilometers on it for $1,500. Mm. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, what, what do you reckon, Greg? What, what do you think I did? You bought the, the other engine.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you yeah. put in a bike that's only worth 500 when the engine was running though.
6: <laughs> Ooh.
3: Ooh. that's not preferred. me
0: that's not me Brian you took it in and had it evaluated that's what they told you they would give you for it no,
3: yeah. I, that's that's true that's true but you know you guys like us I, I get sentimentally attached to inanimate objects like my motorcycle and uh she also the same. I said to her oh well you're like a part of out." she said don't you dare you cannot do that <laughs> yeah. so and, and, and to pull an engine apart out of a GS Basically, from the handlebars forward stays, everything else comes off, you know, everything, yep. you know. So um, that was a bit of a trial, but my mechanic mate Phil and myself did it in a day um, once we got the engine in. And um, we filled up his, his workshop with uh, smoke once we started it up because the engine had been sitting on its side. It, it was, you know, but it, it's going fine now. Brand new Allen Shockers, brand new shaft. Um Anything that's not new in it, and I'll cross my fingers, there's a gearbox. But <laughs> You might as well put a clutch in it, so a $200 clutch went in it as well. So sure. uh, it's almost a brand-new bike. And um, let me say, it's a very fresh engine, and it seems um, $1.80. Um, people will know what $1.80 is. um seemed to come up very quickly on the speedo dial. So it's, 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 going, it's going pretty well. It's
0: so, <laughs> is this the bike for your next trip? Like, because I know at one point not long ago you mentioned you were in a dealership, sitting on a bike and swinging your legs back and forth and and hoping yeah. to buy something or thinking of it anyway. Is this your your next trip bike, or is it going to be a new one?
3: I look. I don't. I, I'm still humming and harring about that. No, don't because, look at Shirley when um, you answer this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> She's actually she, she <laughs> said she said, "I out and buy a new one." She It was exasperation. If I heard another story about the bloody big red engine, <laughs> <left> <laughs> <in>. <laughs> just. You know how parents just say, well, go and do it.
3: <laughs> just do it. Just stop it.
2: talking about it. Yeah, that's what last <laughs> night became. came, but that's okay. You don't need to and
3: do know you, you know, you scroll through and you're looking at new bikes, you're looking at the new KTM 1290, the Suzuki 1050, the BMW 1250, the BMW 1300 is coming out. What oh, no, else is because I'm oh, at I shop. don't. I
2: don't want to even <laughs>
3: Hey,
0: has anyone considered like the the electric bike thing? You know, I mean, everybody knows about it, but has anyone actually considered it in a real way thinking maybe I should start to switch over?
2: Watch the the, um, the Ewan McGregor thing. And it's easy to do if you've got the wherewithal to have a truck with a generator on following you on your trip. That's the (laughs) catch. Yeah. That's the
6: The, the catch. Let me say, I'm
3: fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. For commuting, you could probably do it, but I I must admit I'm addicted to ice. So uh, I'm sticking with it. Oh, will
2: you explain? Explain, explain.
3: Internal combustion engine. Oh, of
0: course, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Well, our first topic is riding with a partner. And I think most people would would, uh, agree that riding with somebody else, actually doing anything with somebody else is a lot more fun because you just have that other person to uh, experience it, witness what you're doing, you know, and what you're both doing. Someone to talk to, share in the adventure, help out when things get tough, uh, even security. There's so many benefits with traveling with another person, whether it's a short trip or a long trip, but with all those benefits come some pretty big negatives they can actually, if they rear their ugly head, things can go terribly wrong. And that's usually a result of lack of planning because it's one thing to plan the trip itself and say, okay, this is our route. This is the bike we're going to ride. You know, our bikes we're going to ride. the gear we're going to carry. And this is how we're going to split the gear up. These are the visas we need. If you're doing border crossings. that's one thing to plan all that. But it's a completely other and an important part to sit down and make sure that you are aligned with your riding partners let's talk a little bit about, um, experience that we've had in this group with, with traveling with another Michelle, you've had experience traveling with a, another person, a significant other. Can you talk about that?
4: Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, and I actually was one of those people that was invited to, to come out on the road. I had been, uh, what I would I guess, say, as a traveler, I think we've had this conversation before. I'm more of a traveler than a motorcyclist and met a guy who was traveling by motorcycle. And I was so inspired by his stories um, that I decided I wanted to try and do some of that long distance motorcycle travel. I had done some in the U.S., um, usually on cruisers, on a Harley Davidson that I owned, um, rode around to like the West Coast and down south and things like that. But decided that I really wanted to um, explore traveling internationally by motorcycle, like this this uh, man that I met had done. We actually started dating and um, planned a trip. Then he had already ridden from Ushuaia up to Alaska and showed me pictures of that trip and it just looked amazing. So I decided I wanted to give that a try and we made plans to go back to South America, which we did.
0: So let let Uh, me stop you there in your story. Yeah. Um, Now I'm curious with the idea of planning for this adventure, what kind of things did you discuss between the two of Was Were there things in there about uh, your method of travel, how you like to travel, all those sorts of things?
4: You know, I think there were some, I I know that there was a, conversation um, that we had at length about camping versus, you know, what kind of lodging and accommodation because I think that was a significant portion of of what we were looking at for a budget. And I, I really appreciated just having an honest discussion up front about whether or not I was comfortable camping, wild camping, staying in hostels. Um, but keep in mind, I came from a hospitality background. So I think, he thought at the time that I really wanted to stay in, in the suite of every hotel in town. <laughs> so, um, it, it was a good discussion to have. And I think it was, it was, um, productive. So we did talk about that in particular.
0: Did that line up for you? Did, did the, did yeah. you guys, were you able to agree on something or were you sort of on track to, to begin with?
4: We were, and, yeah. and I'm a person who likes to camp. I'm very outdoorsy. I've done a lot of camping. Um, so that actually was right up. You know, my train of thought, I really wanted to do that anyway. I like to get out on the back roads and go out to usually some of the the places that are a little harder to get to are the most pretty and they're away from some of the crowds. And so I enjoy that kind of travel. And I think we were definitely in sync in that. Um, but there were things that we didn't talk about in advance. We didn't talk, um, you know, about how quickly, what kind of pace we would travel, at um, and I think our writing skills and writing experiences. He'd obviously already been to Ushuaia and up to Alaska, was a very experienced and skilled writer, and I was not. Um, and I think you know that that difference in our writing skills and and the pace that I was comfortable with, and the pace that he was looking to achieve to reach Ushuaia by, you know, the right season time of year were not necessarily in sync. And those are, you know, kind of rough edges that we had to rub off and kind of figure out as we went on the trip.
0: And so how did it end?
4: Uh, good. We had a, we had a really good trip. Um, we traveled for two years together. We, you know, obviously not every day was a great day, but that's just like at home. I mean, there were times that we didn't agree on things, um, but overall we really traveled well together. And I, I think Um, I think we really focused on our strengths and just learned to overcome whatever, you know, things that weren't in sync together. And we we had good discussions about it. And um, yeah, we made it to Ushuaia. So I, I call that a win.
0: Well, two years. Yeah. You, you'd think that everything would be worked out in two years. And, and we we said this, I think we talked about a little bit about this uh, a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was last episode, but I was, and, and I was making the remark that it's kind of, you're, you're putting the pressure cooker with your, your significant other when you're traveling because you're out of your element. You're going to have to deal with things that are out of your control and it forces you to deal with them right then with whatever you've got. It, it can be very difficult. And I always thought that, you know, if you went through two years, that's it, you've made it.
4: Yeah. I think think a lot of people feel that way. And I think um, we did. We traveled really well together. In the end, we are not together anymore. Um, But that was actually a very different scenario. We traveled well together, but we weren't necessarily as compatible off the road. And that's a whole different set of circumstances. But living on the road and traveling long-term, long distance can really definitely be a pressure cooker. And you can be put into a lot of Unusual circumstances and a lot of really uncomfortable situations. So it's, you know, it's definitely a place where you either grow more together and stronger or you can grow apart. It, it certainly can present that challenge.
0: When you're done the trip and you come back, you and him, do you become different people? Is that part of it? Do you sort of change back to the Western world person? You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, is there, is there something yeah. that sort of clicks you back to the normal? And, and that's one of the things that people say about when they come back from a big trip, you've experienced this as well, trying to fit mm-hmm. back in. And is that what happened? You sort of became these different people when you're off the bike?
4: I, I can't speak for him as much as probably, you know, my experience and in, in myself, I, and to say, first of all, he had been traveling for two years before I met him. So he was on the road even longer than I was. And to transition from being on the road from several years to, you know, moving into a home in a neighborhood and, you know, kind of settling down is really such a difficult challenge. And and I, you know, kudos to anybody that can get through that. It was difficult enough for me for two years to be on the road and try and settle kind of into what I had previously seen as normal. And I really struggled with that coming back. So for myself, yes, I sort of went more back to what I had been doing before. I got a house with a mortgage. I went back to a full-time office job for a few years. Um, So, and that really was not something that I think either of us wanted to see happen. I don't think that's where our heads were at, but it was you know, it was the grown-up thing to do, so to speak. I had to get a job. I had to pay bills. And, and yeah, I, I think getting back into that kind of life is a transition for anyone that comes off the road.
0: Well, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing that, Michelle. That's that's nice yeah. that, you, that you sort of let Absolutely. us uh, have an insight into your life with that. Anyone else have experience with this? Uh,
2: sure. Not personal experience, as in Brian and I, obviously, because we're, you know, a bit rusted on now, oh. but um, we <laughs> met a, a, a young couple when we were travelling and um, we thought they were a match made in heaven. They were wonderful people to travel with. They seemed to get on like a house on fire and um, we spent some time with them in several different countries. We we kept crossing paths and we were absolutely gobsmacked to discover um, that they'd parted company. And... As Michelle said, being on the road, so many things can happen that would happen at home. And uh, this young couple stopped in one location to make some money to continue on their trips and one of them met someone else. And that mm. that can happen anywhere. And it, it certainly shocked um, those of us in, in the group that we knew that knew them because they just seemed to have an idyllic life together, yet... It just happens like it happens if if they'd been working in their home country.
3: Um, I think um, travelling with your partner or someone else, it, 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 it condenses everything. It's a microcosm of, um, of life in a lot of ways, you know. You, you, there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You can't get away from each other and you find out the nuances of uh, each other intimately. And uh, sometimes that can be grating, sometimes, you know, it can be, um, you know, fun too, you know, exhilarating whatever you want to call it. But, you know, before we left, we were told by our, our friends that, oh, this will break you apart. You can't live side by side, cheek to jowl for a year, two years or whatever you're doing and um, come back and uh, still be together. Well, it, it, to us, it just made us stronger. And
2: um and we'd been married for thirteen years yeah, or fourteen years when we did yeah. our first trip. We'd been yep. together a lot longer than that, but people still expected the stress of life on the road to um to break us up. And I've got to say, as everyone will admit, and and Michelle said some days on the road are a real pain in the ass, if you'll excuse my Australianism, <laughs> and and you you would would gladly strangle your partner. And I know Brian has felt that about me, but wouldn't be game to say it when I'm sitting so close to him. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, oh,
3: thanks for no,
6: saying it for no, him. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah,
3: thanks <so> <laughs> Now look, yeah, you know, but, but you've got to be honest with each other. And you say, well, I just need space, and you know, you just go and do your do your thing and have a bit of space.
2: And we've 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 done that. Uh, on occasion, oh, there's just so many motorcycle museums I can do in one week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you proved everyone wrong. I mean, you guys even came back and wrote a book about it. So there you go. Oh I mean,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And we came back and renewed our marriage vows. So yeah,
0: what was yeah, that? What was too? that? Uh, what was the reason for renewing your marriage vows?
2: And um, we just wanted to do it to reaffirm our love for each other and our relationship. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we had a, Sorry,
2: is that too sooky for this? Uh, one?
0: No, no, no. I was just curious. I think I might have asked you that before, but I am curious. Yeah,
2: yeah look, um,
3: we. I think that the, the, the seed was planted in our head when we just before we left on that trip. I went and saw <laughs> <laughs> because of my job, and you know, I had a fair bit to do with the um, police pastor, who I um, operates for all sorts of things to run uh, services for bereaved families. And anyway, I went out and saw Jim. Jim, I've got something to tell you. He said, What? You're renewing your wedding vows. You want me to do this? You know? Said, no, 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 Jim. Have a look at this letter. This, this is if something happens to us on the road, we don't want to burden our families, but you can do this. This is what we want to happen to us, you know? Don't bring bodies back. <laughs> and he was gobsmacked. <laughs> but he planted the sea. <laughs> He's a great guy. Anyway, he planted the seed that uh, maybe we should uh, renew our wedding vows when we got, got, got home. Oh, I see uh, him um, mentioning
0: that before this is before
3: you left. Yeah, him mentioning that. Oh, I get yeah, it. Right yeah, right. yeah.
2: And we sort of, and we thought, you know, that does take the romantic tinge off it, doesn't it?
0: Why did you renew your wedding it. vows? Oh, somebody suggested it and I thought it was a good thing to do. We had the weekend.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And a lot of our friends had missed uh, our wedding, um, particularly Shirley's best friend. And, and we thought, yeah, that'd be a great idea. So we did that. And um, our kids made little speeches, which was great, you know. so I'll,
0: I'll cut that part out, Shirley, and, and leave your part in. It sounds much better.
6: <laughs> Thanks, Jim.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and as she said, other people, um, are, are just um, they just separated for whatever reason. And, you know, we've, you've heard the story that about the people who had the divorce in our, in our front bedroom. Well, you know. Um, when we met them in Pakistan, they were fantastic, but you know, the, I don't know whether it was the pressures of the road or they just grated on each other to the point where they, she particularly hated him, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway.
2: Yeah. It was palpable. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Sam,
1: what experience have you had with this? Um, right. Um yeah i mean i've I've met a few people who things haven't worked out particularly well with um on the road. There was one couple that um I know and he he had wanted to go travelling for a long time and had had to work quite hard to persuade her that it was a good idea um, but it's it just went wrong from from the word go because they hadn't spent the time to work out what each other really wanted out of the trip and she had one image in her mind and he had another image in his mind and um, he put loads and loads of planning in to places to go and things to see and um, rides to do and all of this sort of stuff she wasn't interested in any of it and she just felt in the first months that they were on the road that she was being constantly pressured into doing something that she didn't want to do and um, they are still together now They did work it out, but um, the year that they were traveling, I think um, very few days didn't end up happening with some scratchy going on. And I I admire their perseverance. Um, I think it must have been incredibly difficult. Um, Another couple I know, they're exactly the same. Um, He's very much an action man. He wants to ride, see stuff, do stuff. Um, And she is more somebody who wants to be – she loves riding – um, but she wants to be off the bike. She wants to go to museums and um, spend some time lying on a beach, reading a book, and you know all of those sorts of things. But these two talked about it beforehand, and they knew what each other wanted, and they were prepared to to compromise. But um, it's funny, you know, compromise is such a negative word, I think, and it's something that any couple needs to be careful of. The concept is right, but actually, try thinking about it as being more willing to adapt. Um, because that's just a, a much more friendly way of, of doing the same thing. And that's the whole thing about being on the road. It's a constant flow of needing to adapt because you're always coming into situations that you don't understand, um, that you're not used to. Um, and that's going to happen within a relationship too. So if you already go in there with that mindset, make a massive difference. Um, I could talk about us a little bit. Birgit and I, we we met on the road um, she wasn't looking for a boyfriend, certainly not one like me. And um, I wasn't looking for a girlfriend. Um, I was really happy traveling on my own and um, doing my own thing. But um, yeah, life happens, doesn't it? And yeah, the two of us, over a period of months, started to get on really well. Um, and about a year after we'd met, we ended up doing um, a-, a test run together. And uh, she joined me on the back of the bike in uh, India and Nepal for three months. We just got on like a house on fire. And uh, it, was, it was a really good time. I mean, I think if we hadn't had that test run together to find out whether we could travel together, um, then, yeah, it, it would have just been chances of it going big time wrong. And that would have been a, um, an upsetting waste of time and energy for both of us. So we, mm-hmm. we were very lucky that we did that.
0: Yeah, it's worked out great for you. You've come out with a life partner.
1: Yeah, it's it's we're we're very very lucky. You know, one of the things that always one of the reasons that I never thought that um, I would find a girlfriend and I wasn't I wasn't looking for one was because um, I spent so much of my life traveling. Um, What were the chances of meeting somebody else who had the same sorts of passions that I did um, and the interest to? Carry on traveling and exploring, and so on. And so, I just quite happily accepted that I probably wasn't going to find anybody, so wasn't looking. Um, isn't life wonderful? So full of surprises.
2: And I think sometimes, Sam, if it, um, sometimes when you're on the road and things don't work out as you planned, where breakups happen, there's still the shared joy of the time you did have together. It's not a wasted. It's not a wasted um, period of your life. It's just. A period of your life that didn't last. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah,
1: I would that's, agree with that. I think that's a good way of putting it.
4: Grant, how about you?
5: Um, well, the two of us we met our, on our first date. You know, you, one of these things you ask. You know, what do you want to do with your life, etc. And she said, "What do you want to do with your life?" And I said, "Well, I want to ride around the world on a motorcycle." She's, Susan was a quiet accountant, never. Really done much, but she'd lived in a number of different places, including South America and Northern Quebec and stuff like that, because her father was uh, building built dams and things like that. And so she'd had some experience, but she said, Well, you know, I've never been on a motorcycle. Travel. Hmm." And we continued to talk and got together. And I think about a year and a half later, we headed off. Um, And it can be, it's such a complete change. From normal life, as some would put it, that it's either going to bring you together or it's going to split you up. And for us, we just found it was just fantastic. We loved what we were doing. We loved being together all the time. And it really brought us together a lot closer than I think we might have been otherwise. As I've been thinking about this question, and I know people who, yes, they've been married for 30 years. But he does one thing and she does something else. And they kind of meet for dinner. And that's almost it, you know. They really have quite different lives. They don't have shared interests, particularly. They may have kids and the kids become the reason they're together. But they don't have a shared common point of view, focus, way of thinking, and way of living. And I think that's, that's really sad. And I think those are the couples where he suddenly decides he wants to ride around the world and she's, huh, what, why would you want to do that? You know, the kids are here and the grandkids are here, et cetera. Mm. And, and then you have this problem. If she decides to go along, she's not really interested. She's going along to be with him, which she thinks is the important part of her life because They've had kids and grandkids and all the rest of it. But that's not really the the binder for them in their life. So a trip together for the couples like that can be very difficult and may not work. And where I've seen that work is where he goes and she flies into Lima or Barcelona. And they're there together for a couple of three weeks. They rent a, a car and they drive around and see the scenery and she has her uh, annual vacation. Maybe she does it two or three times in a year, but he gets to do what he wants and she's doing what she wants and they make it work. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, as, as I was sitting there listening to your story, when you're talking about when you and Susan meet, and you're out there on your first date and you're talking about traveling the world by motorcycle. This is a few years ago. And, uh, yeah. and, and back then, the idea, the idea of traveling by motorcycle... 37. <laughs> 37 years. 37 years, ago, that's what I said, a few years back. Yeah. So the idea of traveling around the world by motorcycle was not a popular thing back then. So you really had to yeah. sound a bit like an alien at that point, sort of blurting this oh, yeah. out to her.
5: Yes, well, I did have a girlfriend a year or two before I met Susan. And I mentioned, you know, I kind of like to go around the world on a motorcycle. I think the relationship lasted for about a day after that. It's clearly not in her wheelhouse at all. Like, are you nuts? Goodbye. Well, of
0: course, these stories I mean, these stories illustrate some points that that we we want to talk about, but they're not all. An end, you know, like like um, you know the story of, of somebody who have difficulty. I think Sam said that has difficulty on a trip. Really has problems with it, and then goes back and, and works out. Not everyone means it's it's a either go or no go, but it's certainly um, a time where where it's trying for anyone. You know, if, if you're not used to doing it, so. I was hoping we could talk about some ways that, that um, couples uh, it doesn't even have to be couples. And I keep saying couples or, or, or significant other, but it can even be two very close friends who decide to go with each other. Like for instance, um, last year we just ended, no, sorry. It was, uh, it was August, 2019 to September, 2020 for our motor, tra- motor travel series on adventure rider radio. Uh, we did Southward Chronicles where we had Jeremy and L and what they did is they left Canada and they rode down to Ushuaia and, and back up again now, when they left, they had everything they needed. Each one of them, they agreed to do this ahead of time. They each had everything they needed on their own motorcycles so that if it didn't work out, they could just go their own ways. You know, and and for yeah. them, you know, th- things worked out very well for them. They had a, a great trip together, a great adventure together. Um, but it, But it's interesting that planning part of it, like with them taking all things, I, I think a lot of people would look at that and say, well, why would you take, you know, double of everything? I think it was very good planning on their part to have done that. And I'd sort of like to talk about that and some of the ways that, that people may be able to do this. Grant, you had made an excellent point there. What a great way to do it. If your spouse is really not into it, rather than doing what a lot of people will um, ask about saying, how do I convince my significant other, my partner, my friend or whatever to go with me? You know, we've, we've got other ways. So what do you do first? Like, like what, what who, who wants to start with uh, some ideas you've got on um, the things you should be considering before you go the conversations that you should have
5: first thing you need to do is like, we've we've already touched on it a little bit, is what exactly is the trip in your mind? What do you want to see? What do you want to do? What is an ideal day? What is the ideal distance riding in a day? What's the ideal distance or number of days in a week to ride? Are we going to stop at the beach or not? Are we going to search out all the, the nasty, gnarly, dirty roads and go into the little tiny villages in the middle of nowhere or are we going to go to the big city and stay for a week and find a nice hotel and do the usual touristy things? These are very different ways of doing it. And each person needs to separately, without discussing it together, I think, um, figure out, write down what do you want? You know, maybe you work out between you 50 questions and then start comparing the answers. Hmm. You may find that you're very far apart or maybe you're actually pretty close, but you're going to have to negotiate what the ideal day, what the ideal (sighs) week, what the ideal months looks like to you and what is your favorite thing to do about the whole thing. What is your vision?
2: And I think you need to be a bit flexible
5: too. Oh, you must be so flexible. It's, It's all about flexibility, compromise, sharing. She's happy, so I'm happy. Um, He's happy, so she's happy kind of thing. It has to work together. What we found became the important mantra for us is we are a team. We work together. We work out problems together. We discuss together. We come to solutions together, and we are both happy. We're a team, period. That's If you're not, you're dead.
3: Exactly. 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 Well, you know, the funny little story about people not communicating was we were doing a little ride across Australia from Melbourne to Perth and back, which is, what, 10,000 k's or thereabouts, and uh, we were travelling with a few mates, and uh, one decided to take his current girlfriend who um, – um, I don't think she travelled on a motorbike much, but she was just gone. Oh. She doesn't. She, she
2: had no concept <laughs> she, of the um, packing light. <laughs> so we pull
3: up at her house to pick her up. He's got his blackbird with the um, uh, gear sack on the back, and she comes out. You know those old-fashioned beauty cases that women had with all the bits <laughs> and pieces? <laughs> she had one of those, which went which <laughs> the top of the of – the, um, <coughs> The gear sack, which Ian was not too happy about, and changing
2: um, the names to protect the innocent, as usual, Brian. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Brian, you know. Tim, can you insert uh, leaps at a pro- a program? <laughs> 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 that appropriate?
3: That's a good idea. Yeah. What, ha- what happened is we pulled up at your service station in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, we, and uh, he wasn't too happy. He was grumping and carrying on, and. The, the bike was that top-heavy because of this damn beauty case that as the suspension unwound, it, it, um, uh, the bike was on the sidestand, it overbalanced and tipped over the, off the other side, the right-hand side of the bike. It was that bloody heavy.
2: So, <laughs> so every morning it would be drawing who's the short straw. to
3: take the beauty case? Yeah.
2: <laughs> But to be fair, because if she doesn't
0: know, you know, it's, it's sort of incumbent on him I mean, to exactly. to explain oh, yes. this ahead of time. Oh, and say. Yes. I mean, if you're going on a river trip, you don't let somebody yeah. show up with, exactly. with suitcases, just exactly throw them right. on the raft.
3: That's right. That's exactly right, Jim. And that's my point. It's about talking. You know, okay, we're going to travel across Australia. This is your space. This is what you've got to, to fit into. This is your first time on a big ride. Well, this is what's going to happen, you know?
2: And enjoy sharing your pannier with the tyre pliers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, Sam, you have ideas for this? Well, carrying tire pliers. (laughs) No, (laughs) not the tire pliers.
1: I, th- I think that there are quite a few things that are key to travelling together as a couple and some of them are, um, we've learned the hard way and some of them just instinctively seem to, to work. I mean, for me, I was a two-wheeled hermit. I was totally selfish. selfish. I could do what I wanted when I wanted to. It was just the length of my visa, the money and the weather. Um, and I basically had to relearn myself and it took me quite a while and Birgit had to be very patient while I was doing that. I mean, luckily it happened. Um, I think for many people doing short shakedown trips and things like that when they're thinking about doing something like this is a really good idea because, you know, things like too much luggage and not knowing how to pack and what to pack, they, they sort of get broken down during those things. But two, right, the other person needs to learn how to travel light. i never forgotten when Birgit flew into Kathmandu when we were going to um, start traveling together and she got off the plane wearing her leather jacket, carrying her crash helmet in one side hand and a day bag in the other. And that was it. That was all she had with her. Absolutely perfect. You can imagine the big grin on my face when <laughs> I saw all of this. Um, <laughs> I think... Sure. <laughs> yeah. but to be fair, Bergen was used to bicycle packing before. Absolutely. Um, and that was dip. exactly what I was going to say next. And this experience made all the difference in the world. There was so much that I didn't have to explain Um, because she had that experience. You pack on a bicycle, you know you want to be carrying the lightest, and if you don't know for sure you're going to need it, then you just don't take it. Mm. But, you know, I think the sorts of things that people learn um, besides... The thing, the change in the mindset to think about compromising as unexpected opportunities, and the importance of flexibility. It's it's the two of you working out things like you have the responsibility for the other person's life. Um, be they on the back or on two bikes.
0: Boy, so that's heavy, isn't it? That, that's that's a very good point.
1: And it's so important, isn't it? Because it's one of the key trust things. If you've taken the time to talk about each other's motorcycle clothing, for example, have you got a decent helmet? Have you got the right kind of jacket for where you're going? Are your gloves good? Are your boots good? Are you right? And, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Then that's showing respect to each other. And respect is one of the most important things, I think, about um, traveling together as a couple. Um, saying yes, dear, and not meaning it doesn't work. Ask me how I know. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> That's the most of experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get, get the thing lip when that happens, so I say yes, dear, oh, don't do that, sir. So. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's also things like um, dealing with issues. Um, if you can deal with issues in front because you're communicating, then the potential issues, they turn up. So you have a chance to actually talk about these things before they become issues. Um, Uh, learning to admit when you're wrong and doing it really quickly and sincerely makes a massive difference, as does spending less time seeing fault with the other person and more time looking for the good and the great things. Because actually, those things are way more if you're traveling with the right person than the things that cause the niggles. Um, I feel like you're
0: reading from a how to succeed in life book
1: here because that's exactly what we need in life, isn't it? Yes. These, these thoughts yeah. just came into my mind as, as soon as you sent us this topic and I just sat and brainstormed everything nice. down. And this is just sort of uh, of instinct. And we've already talked about um, communication, but communication comes in two ways. It's not only the ability to say, look, I'm not happy, but it's the ability to really listen to what what your partner your travel companion is saying to you and too many times in even in real life we pay lip service to what our partner's saying instead of really listening and thinking hard about it and when you're traveling together in confined environment as in on a motorcycle or on two motorcycles and just dealing with everything that's new and full-on intake overload every day you have to be able to be um, great communicators Um, And the other thing that um, I think is really important is I've seen this happen several times. Somebody's not happy and they let it build up until they're at bursting point. And inevitably it's in the wrong place at the wrong time with anger in the voice or frustration in the voice. And this to me is one of the keys. And Birgit taught me that when when you're um, in a situation and there's something that's not right um, and that actually it is beginning to rankle, you have to find the right place to do it. So don't do it if it's going to be a bit scratchy in a cafe, in public. Wait until you're in peace and quiet, somewhere attractive and there's nobody else around and just sit and talk something through rather than having all of the distractions you know the waitress coming up and saying what about this or you know whatever else it is you just need to be somewhere where you can be yourselves and sit and gently talk something through and it's amazing how many times that, that, that conversation like that happens and actually, the, mis- the, the situation is arising because of something stupid that was said without thought, or something that's just not been talked about. And actually, it's not a problem to deal with. But you try dealing with it in the wrong way, the wrong place, with distractions, um, and with that confrontational feeling, and it can blow up out of all proportion. And there's something else here that works really well. And that's, I think, the ability to laugh at yourself. you stuff something up. Don't deny it. And I'm the world's worst at this. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Yeah, well, you've just got to laugh at yourself. Because if you do, that makes you just so much nicer person to travel with, doesn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. You're here. You know, something we haven't done here before is make, a, is anyone good at, at writing down things fast? If we, if we start to come up with a list, does somebody want to take on that task? And then I'm thinking if we I make a li- if we make this list, we can post it in the show notes afterwards. And I'm thinking we should make a quick list of items to discuss before you go on a trip with significant other, friend, whatever the case is. What just just like you know in a in a, in a pop form sort of thing.
1: Well, here's another one to add to the list. While somebody's thinking about volunteering, be kind to each other first and foremost. It's it's yeah. just so important, isn't it? It's, it sounds like a little thing. Be kind to each other. But it's those looking for the little things that you can do that makes your partner's journey that much nicer, that much more interesting. And it's simple things. And being kind to each other quite often just starts with a simple smile. Um, Birgit one day gave me a, um, a wild flower that she picked by the side of the road. And she just picked it and passed it across to me with a little smile. And that made my day for days afterwards. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. So let's do it. Let's let's just fire them out there. What what sort of things that
0: should we discuss before we head out on a trip? And let's just try and get it in point form, and then we can post
5: this list in the show notes afterwards. What's your ideal mileage in a day? Style of travel. Yeah, style of travel encompasses what, do, a, few what
3: do you, what, and a lot of subnotes.
0: Oh right. Okay. So let's break that down.
3: What, what do What do you want out of the trip? What do you want to chase? You know, is it an end goal to go to one place to another or is it to see the world or is it to go to museums or would you like to see museums or? Oh, my gosh, um,
4: Brian. <laughs> go, go, go. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. 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 I'm,
3: teasing. Go, down, Michelle. I'm
4: teasing. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are fantastic.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's the bottom line. And um, are you comfortable on the bike or, you know, doing… Budget.
1: These, uh, oh, budget? that's such a good question yeah, right? yeah. Are you comfortable on the bike? Are your yeah, foot pegs good. in the right place? Is the saddle comfortable? You know, if, oh, either right. if, if you're as a pillion or as if you're riding your own bike because, my gosh, that can make a yeah. difference. Yeah.
3: Does your bike need to be adjusted for for long travel, you know?
1: Um, and Grant, you do classes doing? on ergonomics, don't you? And oh, my yeah. goodness, well, aren't they, different? Aren't they important?
5: It's, it's amazing how many bikes are so badly set up. I get 20 or 30 people coming to a class, and I swear, all but two of them are just wrong. So, really put some effort into figuring out how to get your bike set up right, and especially for women, because motorcycles are, are designed roughly for somebody five foot eight, and your average woman is not five foot eight, and they just don't fit and they struggle and they're fighting with it forever, you can make it fit. So get that done right.
0: Well, there's not much for adjustment for the passenger, is there? I mean, your foot pegs to the passenger, they're, they're fixed. Uh, and there's, there's not much there without getting creative.
5: Well, sometimes you mm-hmm. do have to get creative. But I'm um, thinking particularly for if she's riding her own bike. Um, but also for a passenger, because we found for Susan, she doesn't like a top box behind her. She likes a soft roll bag behind her. She feels safer. It's more comfortable. She can lean back against it en- enough and mm-hmm. gives her lower back support. Whereas a top box, if you get rear-ended, that's her back. That's not good.
1: I agree. Um, and it's, but you can lower foot pegs on uh, for sure. a pinion. And yeah, yeah. one of yeah. the things that um, I've had people say to me in the past is, I can't get my feet on the pegs properly because the panniers are in the way. Yep. Yeah.
6: Yeah.
5: Right. yeah, And yeah. Susan and I have discussed actually what material the foot peg should be made of. She doesn't like the really grippy one. She likes a soft rubber one. But the catch with the soft rubber one, if it's too soft, is that when she puts her foot on it and steps up to swivel around, it's squidgy so it's not solid and doesn't feel secure. So she really doesn't like that either. So you've, you've got to fiddle these little questions to get it just right. What are the things with yeah. the list? things for Well, like I was talking about earlier, was the ideal length of day, week, how many miles in a week? Are we going to take three days off a week? Are we going to take two days off a week? Um, how far in a month are we going to ride? How many days at the beach are we going to do?
3: Yeah, I, I, I think
5: that, that has to be flexible, Grant. You know? well, of course it's flexible, it's, it's but you've got to you gotta get a concept
1: on either yeah. side. What's his yeah. ideal? Michelle, so your comments about accommodation, that's that's also important. Um, yes. Do you, yeah. do you, how big a tent do you want? Do you want <laughs> to sleep in a yeah. tent? Are you happy staying in a, a rock-bottom um, local hotel because, A, it's on budget and, B, because you can have a fantastic experience there or do you want somewhere a bit nicer than that? Um, all of those sorts of things. Accommodation, it's good.
2: Sam, it says a, it says a lot about you, Sam, that the first option was – do you want a bigger tent? Yeah. (laughs) When when we did our first trip, it didn't take me long to work out that Brian's idea of adequate accommodation and my idea of adequate accommodation were vastly different, and we swapped jobs. Initially, his job was to go and and get the room, and after a couple of absolute disasters, that changed. (laughs) Shush, I'm speaking (laughs) – (laughs) yeah so that became my job
5: absolutely Susan's job absolutely that's a tough one to work out in
0: advance though because how do you how do you come up with a description of the worst accommodations that you'll accept before you go, oh. that's, that's tough. That's something you got to learn on the road.
4: And you have. To and I can assure you that whatever you think your worst tolerable place to stay is, you'll find something worse than that on the road that you oh, yeah. will have to take. You have no other choice. But those things all speak to the point that Shirley, I think, made just a moment ago when she mentioned budget, because I think that is such an important discussion to have. And budget doesn't just relate to accommodations, but every aspect of what you're looking at doing. And it can really affect your itinerary. So not just how much are you willing to spend on a room or how much you're willing to spend on dinner. Uh, most nights we actually cooked at camp. So we were pretty conservative in terms of you know how much we spent for food. We saved money and it was easier for us to buy groceries and, and to cook at a campsite because then we were more free to camp wherever we wanted. We weren't you know, trapped or, or stuck being in town or near a restaurant. But
1: mm-hmm. that
4: budget can extend a little bit further in that if I was interested in going, for example, to like Chichen Itza for a day and a day pass was $35 or something, and my travel partner was not interested in that, then that travel partner was sitting there with a day with nothing to do while I went off to do an activity. and And that's not always the most respectful of their time. So just you know, a lot of the things that, you know, you're going to be doing for activities can really affect the amount of time that you're either spending together. And so it could be an opportunity for time apart, which is a positive thing if you need that, or it can be a negative thing if you're spending too much time apart or it's affecting, you know, the style of travel if they're too different. So it's it's a good discussion to have. Mm-hmm. What about
0: risk level? You know, how how much risk? are willing to take. Now that could be that could be in a in a number of different areas. It could be in the type of riding that you'll want to do, whether you're two up or, or both on your own machines. Um, maybe where you want to visit, the areas that you want to visit. And, and that's a difficult one, but that's certainly something that, that you have to have a conversation
5: about.
4: I think you should.
5: Uh, you yeah, have you to yeah, everybody's level of risk is, is different. Everybody's opinion on how dangerous is dangerous. So, I don't know, maybe you look at different situations today, like, would you want to be, be interested in riding in Ukraine right now or not, et cetera? Mm-hmm. I think that's something that you can kind of get a feel for each other's opinion on what's adequate, what's safe enough, and what's not safe enough.
0: Anyone else? Anything for the list?
1: Yeah, I do. Um work out um, roles in advance. Yeah. So, for example, um, Birgit's an absolutely brilliant navigator. So we would look at the maps together and all of this sort of stuff. And don't forget that we quite often travel without GPS. We just use maps and the sun and the compass and, and have fun doing that. Um, but she's an absolutely great navigator. So she tended to take on board a lot of the, the daily navigation, although we would work out the route that we were planning to do together. So that we were both contributing to that and picking out the things of interest along the way that we'd both like to see and get involved with. Um, She's a better mechanic than I am, and I'm a better cook than she is. So that was worked out as we went and um, worked quite nicely. Am I hearing plenty of people cringe because I've said that Birgit's a better mechanic than I am? Um, No, we know. Good. (laughs) Excellent. No, we don't Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know um mike and sally when when i was traveling with them sally um she just worked out to be an absolutely ace stone thrower deflector Um, and that was one of the roles that she inherited yet when you're traveling on a solo you've got to work out how to deal with that yourself have i told you this story you're going to have to. I, I don't remember um, this, no. Yeah, I'm, right.
2: I'm bamboozled. I need the story told.
1: Uh, a nice <laughs> one. Well, when, when Mike and Sally and I um, first started traveling together, so we met on the ferry going from Greece to Egypt, and Mike was a hugely experienced motorcycle rider, um, off-road, the works. And um, Sally was on the big trip because it was something that Mike wanted to do. And they had done a deal that um, she would ride around the world with him on the condition that when they got back, they had babies, which they did. And they had an absolute ball traveling around the world together. But Sally, of course, was very nervous in in the early days. And she was very much finding her feet on the back of the bike. Um, And because Mike was so competent, I think sometimes Sally felt a bit nervous and perhaps even a bit of a spare part. I mean, that changed as as they grew together on, on the road. But going through Egypt... Um, We quite often found that the kids would get very, very excited when they saw motorcycles coming. And um, one of their ways of expressing their excitement was to throw stones with lots lots of laughter. There was nothing malicious about it. It was just fun from the kids' point of view. Well, of course, when you're on the receiving end, it isn't fun at all. Um, now Sally was absolutely brilliant at this because she works out that when she saw a child reaching down to pick up a stone she'd wait until they had the stone up in the air you know the hand up in there about to throw it and then she'd flash them this beaming grin and give them a wave and these kids were so startled by the grin and the wave that they'd stop, the, they drop the stone and, and wave back again it's absolutely perfect because the rest <laughs> of us would sail on through afterwards because if you're riding solo you've got to be riding and waving and grinning at the same time um, so, yeah, she had a good role there.
0: I have trouble with the understanding the, of, of the um, motivation behind throwing stones at you. You see it as it's their way of being excited. I have trouble with that, Sam. That doesn't sound it, it, like it.
1: The other country that it happened to me more often than not was in Ethiopia. Um, but again, just the smile and the wave back and you've made the connection and it's just a local thing. And I, I didn't have it. Anywhere else, not any country, anywhere else in the world, just those two, and I'm sure it was just kids being silly, kids larking around. Um, but hey, that's difference in culture, part of why we travel. But I never got hit; I was very happy. Well, actually, no, oh, I did once. It hurt. Yeah. I,
4: <laughs> that but, I suppose it depends on the size of the rock.
1: <laughs> yes, it does. They're little yeah. kids.
5: They're not very big. Yeah. But on, on rolls, Susan and I worked out that we each had very specific things that we did. I was responsible completely for the bike, riding it, getting it there, making sure it was working correctly. Um, I did the basic overall navigation with Susan's input. She did the day-to-day navigation, and she now has her own GPS, which she uses to figure out changes along the way. Um, my GPS tells me what's ahead and her GPS well, her, her and her GPS tell me what to do. but I can see on my GPS exactly what she's talking about. With the two GPSs that works out really well. but uh, anyway, so she has those specific. I will set up camp, I won't get everything organized. I'll get the stove going. she'll be organizing food. she does the cooking, I do the cleaning up. Um, so we each have very specific roles. So that, again, we're a team. We each have skills that we're good at, and it works out really well for us working together. Um, I know one couple that headed off, and he did the camp. He set up the stove. He did the cooking. Sorry, she did the cooking, but he did everything else, all the navigating, all the planning, all the organizing, um, bike, tent, sleeping bags, all works. All she did was cook. And she felt very much a third wheel. Like, why was she along? She didn't, she was not happy because she wasn't pulling her weight. And he was pissed off because she wasn't pulling her weight. Eventually he figured out, um, it, it took him quite a while to figure out, okay, we need to split up the, the, uh, the workload here so that it's more even so that you're not unhappy because I'm not doing the work and I'm not, I'm not unhappy because I'm bored and you're doing everything and you're in charge. And I don't like you being in charge. It's, it's got to be a team thing. I think um, that's really important to work out.
1: I have come across people like that and as you- well and it's not uncommon, is it? No, it's not. It's very, very common. Right. Going back to what Michelle was saying and, um, and Brian um, about working out in advance what each other wants out of the trip. Um, I think we've mentioned, you know, how many miles you want to ride in museums and beaches and exploring. And another one that um, is is really important to work out in advance is uh, how many photos you're going to take. Oh, yes. Because you get one person that's just itching to take photos all of the time, and they're a good photographer, and sometimes a good photograph can take 15 minutes to half an hour to make happen. And I've come across people whose partners are just completely fed up of all of this stopping and taking photos, Um, and they didn't talk about it in advance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you're
5: the photographer, you want the other person on the other bike to ride up and down the road 15 times to get just the right angle of shot too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh god yeah that's
0: and that's important if you're if you're a couple or or even if you're just riding with friends you know purpose of the trip and what you're going to be doing
1: just going back a moment to um, individual roles things that you're good at Um, one of the things that i i'm conscious of is that um, although berget may be better at cleaning and balancing car as, as an example i still want to know how it works and i still want her to explain what she's up to and that sort of stuff and so when i'm cooking for example then i'll be talking about the different things that i'm using and why i'm using them um we, ha- we still show interest in each other's um better points and also it means that if for example um she gets ill for a while, then I'm not just suddenly dealing with this void of of lack of knowledge and understanding. And I think that's part of where teamwork happens. You enjoy each other's good points um, and skills, but you're still working as a team and balancing each other out with understanding. Yeah. But um, it works. And this is one of the joys of having two people traveling together, isn't it? It's sharing these things. It's two minds on stuff. It's helping each other, the sharing of the duties. Um, I think companionship's just brilliant if you're with somebody that you're enjoying being with, isn't it? A person to laugh with. Two views of the same day. And something else that I I noticed in particular when I'm traveling with Birgit, because most of my trips have been solo, um, it's the introduction of new things um but also it's things like two two pairs of eyes seeing the same day and Birgit would notice some things that i just had completely missed but when she started talking about them i thought oh yeah i think well that was interesting yeah and so it just added double value to the day there are so many advantages to traveling with somebody else that you really like um being with it's also you know things like um border crossings when one stays with the bike or bikes and the other one goes in and deals with the paperwork and you know those sorts of things of course traveling as a couple can be a lot cheaper too can't it sharing the cost of a hotel room um, a single room let's say costs you 22 dollars but a double room costs you 28 work that one out but hey you're enough at nights on the road and what a massive difference that makes to the budget
5: One bike's a lot cheaper than two. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking, too. You know, uh, that was our big motivation. Susan didn't know how to ride at all. And we discussed her learning how to ride and then getting a bike. And and then we looked at the costs and thought, you know, two up is so much cheaper and you don't have to learn how to ride. Although we, I would have liked if she had learned how to ride because what if something goes, happens to me? But uh, you're always on a road and somebody's always going to come along with a truck or a whatever, haul you out.
0: Well, that's another yeah, one wait, that can be wait, added wait, to the wait. list, maybe, is contingency plans. What what if things yeah. don't work out the way you want
5: it to work out? Yeah. What if somebody gets injured? What do you do? Mm-hmm.
1: I've been ill before. Don't laugh, Shirley. So it's been very nice when Birgit's going to help. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> you know, and I do am the when
5: they get
4: sick, too. Oh,
5: no. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, somebody somebody's it's me.
4: It, that's one of the things that I yeah. think... Yeah, I was very happy to share as far as duties as I was responsible for kind of the medical side of things. So I made sure that we carried electrolytes and that I carried, you know, enough water and made sure that we were eating properly and in hot climates, drinking enough and stopping for breaks. And again, that partnership. And as Sam, you know, so eloquently said, I mean, just enjoying someone's company and sharing you know, the 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 good and the bad and all of it because you can look back years later and have those memories to share. And I think there's an old saying that comes to mind that when you share things with someone, your sorrows are halved and your joys are doubled. And yeah. I think that's, that's so so true and so poignant for traveling by
2: motorcycle. Yeah. Um, yep. but when you meet people who are traveling on their own and you pal up with them and you start traveling together, the first night where you sit down with a beer at the end of the day, and say, you know, mull over the day and the places you've seen and the people that you've met, the one thing that they invariably say is how much they miss that when travelling on their own.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yep. having someone to share yeah. at the end of the day, be it a friend, be it your partner, be it a stranger you've just met on the road for the last couple of days, just to share the experience. Uh, yep. ab- absolutely. Just, just uh, if,
3: if you're travelling with a group of people, I think in this – Got into my head when I went around Australia with a few mates. Um, you've got to be aware of um, the dynamics and sometimes they change. You start off on a trip, everything's rosy and everyone goes, Yeah, this is great, and all that sort of stuff. Um, we'd been around most of Australia and we we're on our way back across, coming across the Nullarbor. We're sitting down having an innocuous game of cards. And all of a sudden, one bloke just blew up. And um, uh, didn't, we didn't see it coming, Although he's a little bit moody, but we didn't see it coming. But it worked out that these two guys had been sharing a room, and one of them wasn't getting on with the other one too well, but we didn't see it. And he, the, the other guy just cleared off and uh, went and camped on the um, clifftops of the Nullarbor, which was a bit of a, a concern. But anyway, um, it just goes to show you that you really need to be on your game all the time. Just don't be complacent. What's your What's your other half? What's your traveling partner? Make sure that um, everything's okay with the world, because things do change as you're traveling along. That's that's the point I was going to make. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Nothing ever stays the same.
0: Before we wrap this up, any no. more for the list, Sam? I'm that was like a deep inhale, thinking. and then a, well, then it
1: was stop. It, it, it wasn't because it was. It's not specifically for the list, and it is going back to something that you and um, Grant were talking about earlier on. Um, when I mean, we've we've only really just lightly touched on this, but we were talking about um, a partner flying out and linking up along, um, you know, along a, a route, mm. so they're enjoying it. And I know quite a few people that have done this, and um, I was sitting thinking about how that would have worked for them. And what both the people that came into my mind um, did first, and I think is what made it work so well for them, was that, um, I mean, it was both guys that were heading out um, on their trips and um, their wives were going to come out and join them and did do that. Um, but what they did right was that, and it's in keeping with what we have been talking about, but particularly relevant to this is they he worked out what his wife's interests were for where she was when she was coming to come out. And between that, because they communicated this really, really well, they chose very carefully where she was going to come out to. So it wasn't a spot that was for him. It was a spot for her that he was going to be at where they could both enjoy themselves. And, for example, one of them, um, she flew out to um, Cairo, and then um, she flew out to Tanzania and um, travelled up to the Ngora Ngora Crater which for anybody who's listening and doesn't know this spot it's um, a UNESCO World Heritage Site it's, it's nice. a giant volcano that exploded and collapsed and the inside of, of the volcano is just one incredible safari park um, yeah. and she, she loved um, animals so she said yeah I'd, I'd really like to do, to do that And then um, they linked up again um, several months later in Botswana. She flew out to um, Botswana and um, caught the bus up to the the Okavango Delta. And uh, the two of them explored the Okavango Delta and um, the Magadigadi pans together. And then, you know, two weeks, and then she flew back again. So over the year and two months that he was riding down through Africa, she um, flew out three times for a couple of weeks each time. And just linked up in places where she really wanted to see.
0: So we'll we'll add that list to the show notes. So if anyone's interested in in, uh, in these ideas on um, things that you should work out, and I think it'll work with anything a group, a couple, um, whatever. There'll be um, a lot of great tips in there for what you should be dealing with or or, or um, talking about before you head out on one of these trips. Well, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back. We'll talk about coping with extreme heat while on the road. But first, I'm going to say thank you to Fresh Tracks. This episode is supported by freshtracks.co.uk. Fresh Tracks has been around since the 90s, and they work with companies or groups to inspire, motivate, challenge, and build communication skills through team building exercises. They work with companies like Mars, Pfizer, Comic Relief, Yahoo. Um, so if you have a company and um, you're dealing with staff, well, what a great way to, to connect with your staff and, and certainly make new, more connections and increase productivity. Have a great, or have a look at, uh, at uh, freshtracks.co.uk. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw. So uh, the next thing we're going to talk about is ideas for coping with extreme heat while um, while traveling. Uh, are, are we going to talk just about riding with this, or no? We're we're going to talk about everything, right? And riding, camping, the whole bit. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. Sam, wh- where do we start How do we approach riding with extreme heat?
1: I think the first thing is to change your attitude.
0: But did I have um, a bad attitude there? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, that didn't
1: go right well, did it? Jim, hang on a second. <laughs> okay. Um what I mean about changing attitude is that when we live in a particular place, we tend to get set in our ways for how we deal with things. But when we're going to go riding and traveling in a really hot area, we need to start changing how we automatically do things into things that are logical for where we are. And I don't only mean things such as drinking enough, but I mean getting in the habit of automatically stopping on the shady side of the street or parking up under a tree. It's That makes a massive difference. And it's things like taking your bike jacket off first and then your helmet. Um, when you're walking, always going on the shady side of the street. And after a while, you learn to do this, these sorts of things just automatically. But to begin with, they're quite alien. Um Many, many listeners will know Austin Vince and they'll know that he's done a lot of his traveling wearing white overalls. Well, completely illogical as far as keeping clean is concerned, but as far as traveling in hot countries is concerned, it makes an awful lot of sense. White reflects a huge amount of heat. Um, my old friend, the umbrella. Uh, I know I've talked about this before, but you know when it's when you, it's it's a mindset that an umbrella isn't just for rainy weather. It's your portable pool of shade. So it's a perfect example of a, a change in mindset, um, as is wearing a, a wide brimmed hat. But um, so yeah, changing your attitude about things.
0: So understanding that um, that you that you are dealing with heat all the time and sort of being conscious of it, I guess on, on a daily, you know, on a, on, a, on the level where you every little thing you do can make a difference with you dealing with the heat. Okay, I mean that, that makes great- sense
1: heat, heat, heat is a bit like a big jigsaw puzzle. Um, dealing with it is is lots of odd shaped pieces that you've got to fit together so that you can um, keep yourself rehydrated and firing on all mental and physical cylinders
0: what sort of problems do do you guys run into with heat or have you run into with heat?
4: All sorts. (laughs) I I would say uh, one of the things that I really noticed with, with heat was it affecting my ability to sleep. If we were camping um, and it was still very hot at night, I found that I wasn't able to sleep and that affected my writing ability the next day because I wasn't as focused. I didn't have as much energy um, so I really tried to, especially like in tropical climates in Central America and, and uh, in deserts, really tried to stay as much as I could ahead of hydration and made sure that I stayed as cool as possible. So I definitely, um, I, Sam's tips are really just so smart and so uh, useful for staying ahead of things. And I think those are the, those are the words that I would use as staying ahead of it. So consciously work to stay hydrated, even if you're not thirsty, even if you're not aware of how dehydrated you might be getting. Just like you can get a sunburn on a a cloudy day, it's possible when it's not super hot out, but you're in a dry climate like a desert to become dehydrated without really knowing it, it sort of sneaks up on you. So if you can take more frequent breaks, uh, maybe look at carrying some electrolytes or something with you. A lot of people wear hydration vests when they ride. And I think those are really essential for just making sure that you're staying ahead of um, the the evaporation of water. And another thing that kind of plays into, you know, hydration issues is altitude. So higher altitude magnifies the rate at which you're losing hydration. And it's just, you know, combining that with heat is really a, a, a tough situation and one that can change very quickly for you. Um, so I, you know, as as a rule wore um, lighter clothing I wore a buff around my neck that I soaked in water frequently and just kind of you know helped take some of the heat away from you it I think that made a big difference staying ahead of the heat
0: as far as the motorcycles go though really the modern motorcycle has, does it, does anyone have trouble with their bikes in extreme heat
3: we say With the 1200GS, if you haven't noticed, um, where the radiator, uh, the oil um, um, cooler is, it's right underneath the headlight and in really hot weather, you get the hot air coming off the oil cooler straight up uh, behind the instruments over the, um, the ignition switch and straight onto your chest. If you put your hand down there or you put a bit of skin there, you can feel it. So, um, yeah, you can deflect that um, with a little, um, I'll put a little uh, dashboard there, which does deflect a fair bit of it. So,
2: the bike runs okay, but it oh, generates yeah, yeah. Bike, so much hot bike, water, bike hot
3: bike, air. Runs, bike runs fine, but you get hot.
0: Right. As far as the bike goes, no, no, though, the bikes no. can handle it. So, no. you don't have to worry so much about the bike. It's, it's really all us, isn't it? 99% of yep.
5: it is yep, us. You so. do have to watch tires if it gets super hot, mm. running on that black tarmac, which can get to ridiculous temperatures, your tires will run hotter. And if you're already kind of on the edge of being overloaded, you're carrying too much stuff, which we've talked about too many times, um, your tires can get unhappy and that can cause you problems. So you've really got to keep an eye on that. Um, You should have tested previously your cold and hot pressures and do a test or two. I mean, if it's running five or 10 PSI higher, than it used to, as in the hot temperature. Then you've got a problem. Time to stop and let the tires cool off. Every time I, I stop, I will put my hand on the tire. How does it feel?
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Does it feel normal hot, or does it feel oh my god, that's hot? That's
0: something that tells a lot. And I think we've t- I've mentioned it before. Here's a tip: um, you can also feel your rims. And see, are, are your bearings heating up? Are your brakes dragging? Yep. I mean, heat with just your your hand every time you stop. It's great. Just walk around and just put your hand on things that obviously you know are not going to be enough to burn your hand. Don't put it on your on your disc brake, for instance. But <laughs> yeah, it, it can it can tell the story, and you can pick up a wheel bearing heating up, or a brake dragging, or like you said, the tires overheating, well in advance of, of having it come apart and create a problem. Yeah.
1: So something with um, the heat of the road, it will also burn the rubber off faster. Um, so, um, when you, when you're riding in the middle of the day, for example, and that's your choice and that's where you've got to be, um, then just go a little bit more easy on the throttle and brake more gently because that can make quite a significance to the longevity of your tire. And when it's been really hot, um, I've let a little bit of air out of the tire because when I've done the tire pressure, as Grant was just saying, I've just been, what? It's how much in there? Um, so I've just let a little bit out until it's cooled down and just quickly zapped a little bit more on when it's cooled again. And um, some people say that when you are riding with tubes, um, you shouldn't use motocross, the, the heavy-duty motocross t- um, tubes and tyres. Uh, Grant will probably put me straight on this, Brian too perhaps. Um, you know, the, the thicker tubes, they get hotter and you you run more risk of um, popping an inner tube if it gets really, really hot. Um, what do you guys think about that?
5: Yep, absolutely. Um, I don't recommend heavy-duty tubes unless you're running extremely low tire pressures off-road with, with a dirt bike. Um, for our, our adventure bikes, yeah, forget the heavy-duty tube because of the big difference in temperature. You, just, you don't need it normally. Um, the only thing a heavy-duty tube does for you is help to prevent pinch flats. So if you're running 15 psi, or one bar, or something like that, then yes, a heavy-duty tube is wonderful because otherwise you hit a big rock and it compresses and you get a pinch flat, snakebite, some people call them. But on when you're running 35, 40 psi, two, two and a half bar, three bar, whatever, there's no way your heavy-duty tube does anything whatsoever for you. So just run a standard tube, much much better. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, Sam, is just to clarify for people. If you're checking your tire pressure when it's really, really hot and the number is very high, do not let the air out. Let the tire cool down by itself, and it'll go down to a normal temperature. If you let the air out or any amount of air out at all, when the tire is cold, it'll have less pressure in it, and that will mean that the tire will flex more, and as you're riding, it will heat up even more, and the temperature will skyrocket.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So I've been doing it wrong all of these years.
5: Unless you have a baseline for it. like If you're
0: checking the tires all the time when they're hot and you know how what the pressure is when it's hot, then it gives you a baseline and you understand where it's supposed to be. But tire pressures in the factory, as Grant says, they're they're set at cold temperatures. So you set it cold, that's when you're supposed to check it. You can't check it again um, when you're hot and, and expect to have any sort of reference unless you've created a baseline with that and you understand what it normally is
5: at. Yeah, like if you're setting your tire pressures, for instance, at 30 PSI, cold and then hot it normally goes to 37 okay that's pretty good you know you're, you're in a kind of a range that's not bad uh, 35 would be better now if you test it hot in, in the Sinai Peninsula for instance where we rode and it was over 50 degrees C and your temperature pressure has gone to 45 that's a hint that you need more air not less because the more air you have the harder the tire is and therefore, it flexes less, which means you will have less increase in temperature from bending something. Which we all know, when you bend something back and forth, like a piece of metal, it gets hot It generates heat. So you mm-hmm. want to reduce the amount of bending in the tire.
1: Thank you, Grant. Okay. I think I've been lucky to get away with that. Can I salvage my reputation with another <laughs> comment? Sure, go for <laughs> it. <laughs> don't don't fill your fuel tank to the brim. Yes. Mm. Yes. Good point. <laughs> I Oh, absolutely. I'd done it myself a couple of times when you go, going down, to, um, through Sudan and heading for, towards the border with Ethiopia, I knew that, um, I was going to be really, really stretched with fuel, um, availability. And so I, I literally did fill it up and I rode the next 40, 50 miles thinking, ah, oh, was that really, really stupid thing to do. Um, but yeah, don't fill it. And I did ride, ride with a guy, um, who, I could actually hear the fuel um, boiling inside his petrol tank, Um, black plastic petrol tank, um, 43 litre, so nine gallons. And you could hear it hissing and bubbling. And uh, we were stopped at some traffic lights in Zimbabwe. And all of a sudden, um, the heat of the engine standing still, um, it not long filled it up. And all of a sudden, the fuel just starts pouring out from underneath his fuel cap all over down on his engine. I'm just thinking, okay, cord lights change. I want to move. (laughs) It
0: it gushed out. You know, um, uh, still chainsaws had an issue with that, with with the fuel boiling. And and the people would open it up and it would literally explode all over the place because it's a sealed setup. Um, It's very dangerous to have fuel boiling, no doubt.
5: Yeah, yeah, don't fill your gas tank up on a really, really hot day and then go to the restaurant and sit and have a din- have lunch. Yeah, have the bike Bad tilted idea. over as well.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's going to be all over the floor. Yeah. I think when you're riding and it's really, really hot, then I, I would always ride less. Um, and I know you can't do this in Australia. It doesn't make sense because of the kangaroos, but I would ride from the first light of dawn until late morning and then I'd, I'd shack up. Um, For three or four hours in the shade, shady spot somewhere till sort of mid afternoon, and then I'd ride until late afternoon before looking for somewhere to camp. And I mean, there are bonuses to doing that. Not only are you keeping yourself in the shade and cooler, but also it means that you're riding when you've got the best light of the day. So taking photographs and um, seeing wildlife, except for kangaroos, um, is just that much more special at those times today. Yeah, you know, that's exactly what the kangaroos do.
5: When it's cool, morning and night, they're out checking things out, wandering around, having a look at you driving by. And during the heat of the day, they're hiding under the shade. Yeah, tell me about it.
3: It's uh,
0: it's funny because I I, I didn't think we had that much to talk about with the bikes. But okay, so back to the rider dealing with the heat. Tips
1: for that? Ideas for that? Can I... I just sorry, Shirley, can I just jump in with something just to, to make people understand what the severity of this conversation is and how important it really, really is. Um Heat stroke, heat exhaustion quite often can turn very quickly without you really realizing into heat stroke and sunstroke. And that is really dangerous. If not dealt with properly, um, heat stroke can cause organ damage. Um, it can take a year plus to recover from. Um, what a wasted opportunity for adventure. So what are the, what are the symptoms of heat stroke and sunstroke? Um, headache dizziness and confusion, loss of appetite and feeling sick, excessive sweating, which then starts to get to the stage where you're not sweating anymore at all, cramps in your arms and your legs. If you start to, to start um, fast breathing, you're just sort of almost panting, you're in trouble. If your temperature um, is high, if it's um, 38 degrees C or 100 degrees Fahrenheit or above, um, then you're you're already getting into trouble. But the key thing is if you stop sweating, then you really are in trouble. So it's very important to know how much damage heat exhaustion, heat stroke, sunstroke can actually do to you. It pays full sense um, to, to make um, full awareness of, of this chapter of Adventure Rider Radio Raw Daniel Byers um, who's one of the authors in The Moment Collectors he is wonderfully honest and very analytical in his chapter in The Moment Collectors because he did an awful lot of things wrong and my goodness did he pay the price for it
5: yeah. the thing that I've experienced myself in this respect is fatigue I'm riding along, it's the middle of the day and I should feel fresh and Feeling good, and I'm just exhausted. I, I can hardly keep my eyes open. Extreme fatigue is one of the first signs. If you're feeling tired in the middle of the day, you're dehydrated.
6: Yeah, and, and the the exhaustion.
5: You're, Heat exhaustion. Mm. Heat exhaustion, yeah. I've actually had heat stroke myself personally. and mm. it's not nice. It's not, I mean, I I literally fainted, crashed out, and I was down and hospitalized and the whole thing.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that in the bike, when I was young?
5: No, I oh, was I quite think. young. Sitting outside in the sun, hot, hot day, stupid. Mm -hmm. The people that were supposed to be looking after me were stupid. Anyway, um, I survived. But it certainly taught me a lot to pay attention. Um, So, yeah, you've got to really watch for that. Just feeling tired, a little bit tired. And if your mouth is dry at all, you're already dehydrated. Mm -hmm. You know that feeling, yep, yeah, your mouth's kind of dry. You
6: You wet your
5: lips a bit. You're yeah, dehydrated already. You're past having needed to have a drink. You should have had a drink an hour ago. Yeah. So that's another one to really watch. Well,
3: that, that, that was on my list was that if, if you're thirsty, it's too late. You're already yep. dehydrated. You should be sipping water all the time. Um, you know, we, we travel and when it's stinking hot, we'll get up at dawn. And uh, if I can get sure moving and uh, away oh. you go. <laughs> but but that's, seriously, that's what you have to do. You have to, have to do yeah. it. But, there's a couple of things that I, I, I think you've missed. You know, like your heat from your head and your feet is one of the first signs. So I, I'd be having – I'd take my shoes I'd take my boots off as soon as we stop and having a break. Um, should have your thongs handy just to chuck them on um, and uh, get your helmet off, get your jacket off. Um, you know, I don't like putting hydrolytes and things like that in the camelback. Um, but occasionally, very occasionally, I'd have one um, at a survey or something like that. But water, 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 more water is the thing. And when you're camping, and Cheryl's um, got a really good uh, thing, the the cool CoolGuardi safe method for keeping cool, haven't you, Cheryl?
2: The old uh, damp down a towel and put Mm -hmm. it on your body, and the slightest breeze will make the moisture from that towel chill. And that's Mm -hmm. they. Call them a safe, and it's what people in the yeah. outback kept food fresh-ish yeah. in the, in the days before refrigeration. Yeah.
3: So that means you're going to be commando. And just lay a tail uh, across the top of you. you. Speaking of commando,
0: I just want to be clear that when Brian said, have the thongs handy and throw them on for people in North America, he's talking
6: about, <laughs> <laughs>
0: he's, he's talking about footwear, okay? <laughs> flip flops. Oh, right, flip it flops, because it's just the, the image that I had in my mind, I had to get rid of that, so I just needed
4: to say it. <laughs> It's yeah. I don't know which which was worse, the thong or the commando event, But yeah, yeah, we'll just
2: (laughs) (laughs) Michelle don't. It'll give you nightmares. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not. I'm blocking it out. (laughs) One thing um, we bought at a bike show, but it was for it was marketed for people who hike. Um, They're like a neck tie that. Um, is filled with some kind of substance, like the technical Sweet. way. I'm not doing this really well. But you soak it in water and it swells up and you put it around your neck. It works like the guardi safe and then when the air from the uh, – while you're travelling hits it, that cools it and it stays cool for just about the whole day. And yeah. all you have to do is soak it in water overnight and you're at it again in the morning. And, Jim, I will endeavour. To find a link and a and a real name for these things. They're
3: the cheap. Yeah, they were, work
6: well.
2: They're really really good, and yeah. we actually bought um, one for our sons to wear when they were in the kitchen cooking during summer as well at their restaurants, and they said they're fantastic for that as well. But importantly, on the bike, the back of your necks cool, which is another place if you if your back in it gets hot or sunburnt, you're in trouble.
0: That's a great tip. And I've always wondered about those because I've never tried them. Is it that they stay wet? Is that what the deal is with it?
2: No, they don't uh, stay wet, but the, well, whatever's do. in the core, which is like a, uh, it's not like rice, it's like a sludgy substance. Like, like a gel. Yes, a gel, thank you yeah. very much. That's the word I was looking for. And it stays cool. Hmm.
5: Yeah, it, it, I don't, it doesn't feel dry. I've got one myself and I and I use it and I will agree with Cheryl. They're great. Yeah. Um, I, t- I like to re wet it in the middle of the day.
2: Oh, yeah, if you can, bad. that's the best way yeah, to do it. Absolutely. Definitely.
5: I will stop. I will have a drink and then I'll pour some over my neck just to, yep. just to help it along. Uh, but yep. yeah, they make a big difference. Before those yep. things existed, we just used a bandana or two and keep mm-hmm. wetting them. Yep. Also, I, I don't like t-shirt cotton t shirts for travel. But uh, if you know you're going to be in stupid hot, then a cotton t shirt's great because you just absolutely soak it and put that yeah. on and ride and it's wonderful
4: i have something similar i don't have the neck gator made of that surely but i have an and we call it an evaporative cooling vest and i yeah. it's made of a similar material and i used to i remember one year riding but i was wearing a mesh jacket so it was a bit better the combination because the moisture in the vest so it was like a sleeveless shirt, a zipper up vest that I would soak in a bag with a liter of cold water, put it on and put my, um, my mesh jacket over the top that had armoring at the elbows and shoulders and a back plate, but it was still really breathable. And um, I could go almost a hundred miles before the vest was dried out. So it was evaporating tons of heat. And I rode with it one summer in the summer in, I think the end of July or first part of August in Death Valley in California. And it was the only thing that saved me. I know writing in that in that intense heat was being able to wear that vest and keep it rehydrated. So I would fill it up with water every time I stopped for fuel. And that, that sense like that great.
6: That's yeah.
4: yeah. Yeah. It was a great tool. So maybe they make something like that in a vest for people that are traveling long distance too. That sounds
1: it? fantastic. And I'm glad you brought up the subject of vented gear because um, I think when you're traveling in a country where you know you can get hold of um, drinking water and lots of it and, and so on, it's, it's just not an issue, then riding with vented gear can be okay. But you're traveling on the long road in countries where um, you're having to pump your water or mm-hmm. um, use chemicals and all of the rest of it, then wearing vented gear is something that you need to think twice about um, the Bedouin Um, deliberately cover up head to toe and only have a slit for their eyes on purpose because they don't want to be um, evaporating water. They want to be gently doing that. Um, Slipstream wicks away too much moisture unless you're in a place where you know that you can fill up um, really quickly.
0: A couple of weeks ago, I sat down with with Mike Cohen from Warm and Safe and he was saying that he tours in leathers. And I'm just thinking when you're saying that, Sam, isn't that the ultimate then? You could just zip on your leathers. Well, yep. there,
5: there is a, a temperature where it's a generally agreed where you go from open mesh and lots of ventilation to shutting it all down and closing up mm-hmm. somewhere around um, 35 C or 95 Fahrenheit. Yep. Up to that temperature, you want as much ventilation as possible to keep you cool and, of course, keep hydrating as you're doing it. But after that temperature, the wind will dry you out and you'll be mm-hmm. in trouble. It will not do you good. It will make it worse. It's, it's like, like body temperature. sticking your head in an oven. It's
6: right. so your natural really? body temperature. Yeah, th- yeah. that's
5: the yeah, off, yeah, Right around body temperature yeah. is where you want to make that change. But that's like doing the Bedouins at 95 Fahrenheit, 35 C, roughly. Body temperature. Um, yeah, Close it all up. Stop the, event, the uh, wind evaporating and drying you too fast so that you don't get that cooling effect. It actually is worse. And I've ridden in... 50 degrees C in the shade. It's 122 Fahrenheit in the Sinai. And we did that the whole day. And it was, it was horrible. We, we went through so much water. Uh, we just kept constantly stopping. And there were lots of stops along the road. And we kept stopping and filling up and filling up and filling up and just rehydrating, pouring water down inside our jackets. And we were wearing leathers. And uh, it, was,
1: it was tough. It was really, really bad. One of the times that I was over in the States, I rode through Southern California, and it was um, those sorts of temperatures. And you know those big um, Coke bottles that you get, um, two liters, that's mm-hmm. that sort of size? Um, I drank six of those that day, and I still felt thirsty. Well, yeah, not yeah, coke, but that amount of fluid. Yeah,
2: but when you're traveling in the heat, it it can make you go crazy. I remember one day when we were in South America and it was very very hot, and I kept wanting to take my helmet off. And part of my brain was saying, "Seriously, Cheryl, this is not what you want to do." But the other part of my brain was going, "Oh my god, I've just got to get this hot confined space off my head." And we stopped at a, a roadside cafe and we walked in, and my Spanish was absolute rubbish. And I thought I'd asked for ice and I actually asked for ice cream Mm -hmm. and he brought out the biggest tub of ice cream and a big bowl of ice and a big jug of iced water and I could have married him on the spot. I've got to say, I never thought ice cream would have been so good in the heat, like to work as such a, a rehydration thing, but it was absolutely spectacular. And lots of ice water and uh, and then the ice we used to, you know, re-wet neckties and things like that. And it was just a godsend, an absolute godsend. But, yeah, no one in their right mind wants to take their helmet off while they're traveling. But my brain kept telling me that's what I had to do.
0: Sure, that, that was one of the things that I want to ask about was as far as a pillion, what are you doing? Because Brian's up front. He's getting the, the better part of the air. What are you doing to to get your, you know, bit of air back there? How do you deal um, with the heat?
2: Yeah, I have to either lean to one side or the other or lean back because he does break a lot of the, um, the breeze, which in certain temperatures and climates is a really good thing. But in the heat, it's not. Um, but I find even – I can't ride with my visor open because the air just wrecks my eyes um, and I can't wear glasses under my helmet. But um, – so I don't ride with my helmet open. So even when I can get my head into the breeze, I'm only getting a little bit of breeze through the vents in the helmet. But um, someone once said to me, it must be so lovely riding on a hot day with all that breeze around you. And I said, get your hair dry, <laughs> put it on high <laughs> and blow it in your face. Yep, and that's yep. what riding on a hot day is like. It is not pleasant. So yeah, um, You're talking but really but, but, hot. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, it's, it's really it's, stupid hot you shouldn't be riding, but sometimes you just have to. As Grant yep. said, you're in Sinai, you can't say, well, it's 52 degrees, we'll just stop now.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, where?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, there's nowhere to stop, so you do just have to power on, and yep, um, right. and that's when you just have to make the most of it, and be aware of the, of the science, like everyone's talking about being tired, wanting to take your helmet off, yeah. Um, being dry in the mouth and and the other thing is drinking a lot of water and you haven't had a pee all day mm-hmm. that will is also oh, a fair yeah. indication that you're not consuming enough fluid
1: mm-hmm. yeah I mean drinking a, a, a good amount um, before you even set off making yourself drink that makes quite a difference um, I know that you know you guys are going to be shouting me down on this but alcohol doesn't help very much either I um, do <laughs> no, drink at all. Drink, t- drink too much beer um, that sort of stuff and yeah you'll pay the price um,
2: I don't want to be the grown-up in this conversation, Sam. No, I know. Seriously, um, <laughs> you shouldn't be drinking beer during the day anyway. When you're riding, just saying.
1: <laughs> really? God, something else that I, I mean. know what you've been doing, right? <laughs> um, Shirley, just going back to, to sitting as as a pillion. Um, pillions are often colder than the riders. And in part, that's because the riders are doing um, the physical stuff, you know, they're moving their arms around and all of this sort of stuff, and they're sitting on top of the engine, and that can make them um, them warmer. Um, so, it, But it actually works in another way, too, for the pillion, because um, what tends to happen is when you're riding in, um, a slipstream, you get a slipstream, and it hits the windscreen, which then hits the top of the rider, comes over the top of the crash helmet, and back um, hits the crash helmet of the pillion, and down their backs. So actually, um, a a a pillion rider can be colder than the rider themselves because of the effect of this slipstream. And um, I only know how this works on hot days because I met a couple who'd worked this out and done it in reverse. So what they'd done was that they had found her a jacket which had um, a zip that ran along the the top um, from shoulder to shoulder. And um, they had filled this with mesh And you know how on tents sometimes you get um, a strengthening piece that keeps the vent open on a tent so that you get a breeze um, flowing through? They'd fitted a couple of those in her jacket. So when they were riding, the slipstream was coming up over over the top of the rider and it was coming down her back and in through the back of her jacket. And she was actually a lot cooler for having done that. Clever idea, hey? Yeah,
2: it is a clever idea. Mm. Yeah. I um, stick my arms out and get the try and get the air to go through, up through the, the, sleeves, the sleeves in my boots, jacket yeah. and through the vents, and then that sort of goes down and, and cools your chest down, but that's a good idea about the back. And I find during winter – the thing that really irritates me, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before, yeah. is the comment that comes from the rider of our bike saying, oh, my hands are so warm because I've got the heated hand grips on. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
6: yes, yeah.
0: There are heated gloves, Shirley, and you should have them.
2: Oh, yes, I think I should. I might start a, a list of um, riding gear for Sookie Shirl, so, <laughs> um, and I can put it on my Christmas list. Heated gloves, heated socks. Yep. There well, you talk go. to Mike
5: Cohen. He was just on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, He does some good stuff.
2: Excellent. Send me the uh, email details, please, Greg. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. Just going back to camping, um, Shirley, I I love the idea of your towel um, soaking that down and um, lying under it. Um, Because we do that in hotels um, as well because, you know, we use um, sleeping bag liners. Um, either silk or cotton. And if it's really hot in a hotel room and there's no air conditioning and we try to stay in places where there isn't air conditioning but a fan because then you acclimatise to the heat and you're not going through extremes so much. But sometimes there's um, it's still quite hot in the hotel room. So what we'll tend to do is we'll soak down our sleeping bag liners and then we'll lie on top of the bed and let the fan evaporate um, the heat from us yeah. in, in that way. And that makes mm-hmm. a, a wonderful yeah, difference. works really it's well. It's very refreshing. Um, with camping um, don't camp in gullies uh, when you're in hot dry countries because those gullies are caused by flash floods and you may have spent the last two weeks (laughs) riding in stinking heat um, and asked me how I know this Um, putting your tent up in a a gully doesn't make any sense at all because those flash floods can, can zap you but also well why would you want to do it anyway because you're not going to catch any breeze at all when you're down there Um, If you're camping underneath a tree um, to try and catch some shade, then do make sure that you've checked above your head that you're not going to get any branches that might come down. If the wind gets up, hot winds and branches falling are not a good thing. And neither are monkeys in places like that um, because they can be throwing things down on you quite happily. And um, camping underneath coconut trees, even though it's a lovely amount of shade, is not a good idea. Again, ask me how I know. Um, yeah okay um, I was going to mention about oh yeah fans in hotel rooms um, cold showers are great um, go and stand under cold shower even if it's not cold water if it's just tepid water and then just stand underneath the fan that can cool you down really quickly and if there's no fan then engage yourself a punkawala. who knows what a punkawala is no a punkah wallah is um, a name that the fan man in India um, is called. So a walla is somebody who is a man who, who does stuff and a punkah is a fan operator. And, and sometimes in the old movies you'll see um, a branch that's strung from a ceiling and it's got leaves hanging down from it, you know, palm leaves, for example. And then you'll see a chap sitting in a corner with a piece of string that's attached to this branch and he's pulling on the string and it's waving it backwards and forwards. That's a punkabala for you. Mm. Very efficient chappies they are too. And it's not an insulting name for him either. You can have the dobe waller, for example. He's the man that, that washes your clothes because a is a clothes washer.
2: I'm just saying, Sam, I would rather not share my room or my tent with a man sitting in the corner with a
1: fan tied to a piece of string. It, it, it seems but, creepy but, for but, sure. Yeah, but, it is know, creepy. Brian, I mean, <laughs> you mean Shirley never gets you doing this? I
2: a strange man or a stranger or just
1: stranger. a stranger. <laughs> yeah okay make it make it a stranger um <laughs> staying on the subject of hotel rooms and moving rapidly away from strange men um choosing a hotel room can make a big difference too and I said earlier on that um, we try to choose um, hotels that don't have air conditioning um i mean because when you're going from Stinking hot outside into frigid air into in a hotel room, it means that it just takes you that much longer to acclimatise. It's like in India. Um, if I'm travelling on the train there, I'll never go in the air conditioning compartment because it means as soon as I get off the train... Um, instantly just blasted by the heat. You know what it's like when you get off an aeroplane and you've you've taken off in your own country and it's nice and cool and you get off in, in hot country somewhere and you feel like you've just, as Shirley said, stepped in front of a, um, a hairdryer on full tilt. Well, the, the more you can decrease the changes between those, the quicker you cool down in situations, the less you notice the heat. But it's also things like, um, for example, when you're booking a hotel room, Get your compass out. Find where's going to be the shady side of the hotel in the in the in the heat of the day. (laughs) It makes a massive difference.
2: That just it just makes seems, me laugh so much. But it just go, works. Go into a hotel and say, "No, I'm sorry, I need to be on the shady side of the hotel. I have my compass here, <laughs> yep. and I know which way the shady side is." You will be certified within a fortnight.
1: And I know <laughs> how. And I know how to say this in twenty-seven languages. <laughs> of course you um, should. But it's, it's that also things hilarious. like, I mean, these are all things that um, when we live in um, cooler Western countries, we don't know about these sort of things and hotel rooms with no air conditioning. When it's in the hot part of the day, I mean, at nighttime, um, and in the cooler of the morning and at the cooler of the late afternoon, yeah open the windows. But um, as soon as it starts heating up, close those windows. Keep the cool that you have got inside. Draw the curtains. Keep the heat of the sun out. Um, And you'll find that that will make a massive difference to your time. The temptation is to open up the windows and and try and get any sort of breeze coming in. But actually, what you're doing is you're just letting the heat in. So that can make um, quite a a difference. Um, Stay in a first floor room um, if you can. Um, in part because when you have got the windows open um, at the cooler times of day, there tend to be more bugs around. But if you stay in a first-floor room up at that sort of um, level of altitude, you'll get less flies and you'll get less mosquitoes around. So um, it's it's worth just moving up just a little bit. Just to Um, clarify, some
5: countries the first floor is ground floor. You're talking the the floor up above the ground.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. And, yep. and sometimes so second
4: floor for Americans, yeah,
1: right. Yes, okay, and third floor works really well, but try to stay away from the one just underneath the roof when you're in hot countries because most of the hotels have got flat roofs and they're just, yeah, they're the solar soaks, and those top rooms can be baking hot. Yeah, okay, I've, I've said enough on hotels. <laughs> the
5: other one is stay on the ground floor because that's closer to the ground, which is cooler. But just keep the windows closed. Yeah, that's what I closed. thought he was going to say. Yeah, that's my thinking. And I do pay attention, surely, to which side of the sun is the sun. I certainly would never take <laughs> a Western facing room ever <laughs> in a hot <laughs> climate. Oh, no, must be no, hilarious
4: no, no. to travel with. Oh, yeah, I think of that more in terms of setting up a tent. When I'm scouting a location in the yes. evening, I know where the sun is, but I'm thinking about where the morning sun is going to come up. Yes. So when I'm scouting for yeah. a tent location, that comes into play. And the other thing that I think about when camping is as tempting as it is to get a breeze coming through the tent when it's super, super hot at night. I am reminded of camping on the muskeg somewhere in Quebec and waking up to a tent full of midges and black flies and being eaten alive. So never be tempted to leave the... the Screen portion of your tent open so you can get a breeze. I, I've learned that yeah. the hard way too.
1: And th- this is actually a really, really good point here. Um, Birgit and I always look for um, tents with two doors and mosquito netting in both doors. So in those mm-hmm. sorts of situations, we can have the fly up, and we do keep the fly on the tent because the gap between the fly itself and the tent inner is actually um, almost like a
4: insulated a air.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's insulated air, so that that really helps. But with those both mosquito netting doors, um, then you can still get a breeze going through. Um, I never buy a tent now with just um, one entrance for exactly that reason. Yeah,
5: Agreed. absolutely. Especially if you're traveling to, with two people and sleeping in the same tent. Yeah. You know, You always end up being the one that crawls over the other one to get out the one door. That's it's just now that just sucks. Forget it. (laughs) Two doors. That's why
2: we have two doors.
0: It also gives you another vestibule, especially when you got a bunch of bike gear if you're not bringing
5: it into the tent or more room to put the junk. We We tend to buy a three person tent. Mm-hmm. For motorcycle mm-hmm. travel, it, it it just fits so much better and so much more comfortable, and the extra pound or two is irrelevant.
0: I think a lot of people do that. the The, the, the thought process is always buy like if it's two people going out, get a three person tent because the, otherwise it's mm-hmm. cut too tight. It, it's really yeah. cut for the width of you sleeping, which especially if you have gear with you, motorcycle gear, there's just not enough room. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for
5: backpacking maybe because you're trying to save ounces. but yeah. not for a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, it's it's your home, isn't it? yeah, mm. yeah. You're, you're spending too much time in it. And if the weather's terrible and you've decided you're just going to stay, it's nice to have a little bit of room, you can sit up, you can play cards or read a book or whatever, and not feel like you can barely move because otherwise you're going to be jostling the other person.
1: Oh, well, is a, a little um, little weird snippet that I didn't know about until I was reading something the other day. When you drink cold water, you burn more calories.
0: Mm, Because your body has to work to bring that temperature back up.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, interesting, isn't it? So anybody who needs to um, lose a bit, go to a hot (laughs) place and drink lots of cold water, really cold water.
0: (laughs) Well, there you go that's one of the tips I didn't expect we'd hear today thank you Sam
5: <laughs> diet tips put it make sure you've got that in the header because that'll get lots of people finding the site diet tips because I, I
0: wonder how many calories it actually burns I mean I, I think my thought process is that it's negligible you know it's it's a, it's, it's something that only a scientist could measure it, that uh, that you're actually burning enough calories for that but hey Jim you're spoiling my fun Stop it. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Any other tips? Um, For camping, make sure you've got something for shade. Mm
6: -hmm.
5: Now You may have a tent, and that's fine. You may not be able to have any other shade, but if you've got a a tarp or a para wing or something, you can rig it between the tent and the bike and have some shade for when you're making dinner or just generally to get out of the worst of the sun, especially if you're going to stay for a day or two.
1: Yeah. Just going back to Shirley's, com- uh, sorry, um, Michelle's comment about the um, direction of the sun um, and you know, using a compass to, to mark out where to put the tent. i oh, just sitting there thinking, God, that is such a good tip. How many times have, have all of us woken up on a camping site and we've arrived and it's been dark or whatever and we've not had the chance to pay much attention and it's just been a case of get the tent up? And then the sun rises at four o'clock and by five, it's already a sweat box in the tent. Yet somebody who arrived early, an hour earlier in daylight has parked their tent on the other side behind the trees and they're just in the cool. Mm. Yeah.
0: Any other tips for um, coping with extreme heat? Anybody else have anything?
1: Yeah, stay by the pool. Stay by the Good one, Sam. Thank you. And and
0: we're just we're just going to wrap it up right there. I think that's great. Make sure that's added to the list. I think we'll do the list for this one as well, and have both lists in the show notes for this episode. Let's move into plugs, and uh, I'm going to start with Michelle. What do you have for plugs?
4: Oh gosh. Well, I think I'm going to um, give a shout out to RevSisters.com. Again, I'm partners uh, with two other women, and we founded a couple of years ago these online motorcycle film festivals. We did, um, just in the last couple of weeks, open ticket sales, but also submissions. So we're hoping any filmmakers who are interested in submitting a film um, would consider submitting it to our film festival. The festival this year will be held um, the last weekend in October. It starts and it runs for 14 days. Um, so again, anyone who's interested either in viewing, it's free for the first weekend online. Or anyone who has a film who wants to submit it, uh, please consider going to revsisters.com to do so.
0: Okay. Shirley, what do you have?
2: Oh, look, Jim, this is going to come as a complete surprise. Uh, but, um... Sorry. <laughs> oh,
0: wow. That's it. I am totally... I'm, I'm just blindsided by that one. Brian, what do you have?
2: Um,
3: uh, on um, the weekend of Friday the 24th to Monday the 25th of April this year, which is our Anzac Day weekend... Um, we have the all British rally being run at the old Newstead race course, which is about 17 kilometres from our house. And um, it's a great event. They normally get about a thousand coming along with everything from, you know, the the really old bikes to the later modern um, bikes, but all Brit um, bikes. And they do a run up to the the old um, town of Malden and and take over the main streets. It really is uh, quite a display. There's a guy that rides a, uh, Vincent that he rides everywhere, um, a, a classic Vincent, you know, which is a $100,000 motorcycle plus. It's a great event, so come along, uh, have a look, either come on and stay at the rally or um, just come for a day. Usually on the Saturday is a good day. Um, we're raising a bit of money for the local football club here and, of course, Australian rules football, the best game in um, in the world. So. If you want to see real men play without um, padding and all the rest of it, have a look.
5: <laughs> okay. Sam, what, what have no you got? No
4: comments.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'm with you, Brian, all the way.
6: Absolutely. It. Those
3: You've guys it.
5: are
6: so
4: you know hard. <laughs> <laughs> right.
6: a, yeah, you have
5: to see it to believe it.
0: <laughs> Sam, what have you got?
1: Well, I, I have to, um, to plug the Moment Collectors, um, our new book, um, I've resisted last month, but thank you very much to Shirley for making the plug for me. Um, before I say anything it insane, else... It was
2: starting to look a bit obvious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, I've got a couple of things that I want to say. and Before I say anything else, I just wanted to say thank you very much to everybody who's been involved with making the book happen. It's just turned into this wonderful celebration of long-distance motorcycling. Um, and it's as good as it is because of the calibre of the writing and the sharing nature of the contributors and those who've been involved in putting this book together. It's just this wonderful whole sharing project and um, it's a buzz. Anyway, so what's new... Well, it's now got um, more outlets for it. So it's available from the, the book depository, with worldwide postage included. It's um, available from Amazon around the world, wherever you are, both as paperback and Kindle. Uh, it's Barnes & Noble as Nook, which is an ebook, And of course, it's direct from us, sam-manicum.com. And that's, of course, wonderful because it cuts the middle man out. But in the end, the most important thing is that you buy a copy and get a buzz from it. And talking of which, readers' feedback is absolutely gobsmackingly wonderful. Thank you very much for all of the messages and posts and um, the people who are now posting reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. You guys are fantastic and I really appreciate it. The success or failure of a book depends on how many people um, take the time out to put reviews up.
0: Not to mention the reviews you've been getting from, from magazines, newspapers. Um, what, yeah.
1: did, they have been absolutely phenomenal. And if you don't mind, I'm going to just read out one or two um, one-liners from those because um, it's the response from the, the media has been absolutely gobsmacking. Um, and the first one comes from an organization called Adventure Rider Radio. Um, I'm sure people have heard yeah, of them. Right. Um, riveting narratives that capture the essence of travel. And that just hits the mark so wonderfully. Thank you. Um, this one's from ADV Pulse. Each chapter is rich in detail and emblazoned with the traveler's unique style. It's a genuine portal to adventure. Um, Next one, a fresh collection of tales from the world's roads and a wide variety of perspectives on what adventure motorcycling is all about. ADV Moto magazine. Um, Upshift quite simply said, adventure motorcycle inspiration. Um, And um, Overland Expo. The sort of read that will stoke, um, stoke your wanderlust and have you packing your panniers to hit the road, and there are just so many like this, and it, it it is absolutely truly wonderful. But the reason that we have got the reviews like this is because of the quality of the writing from um, the contributing authors, um, absolutely cracking stories. So thank you very much to everybody, and to all of those um, the back pe- Rose people um, who have done the editing and the proofreading and um, the layout work, and um, Simon Roberts, of course, for the the, the, um, the drawings and paintings. It's um, yeah, um, and to everybody who's listened to Adventure Rider Radio and Raw um, and has bought a copy, thank you. Really appreciate you doing so. Cheers.
0: Oh, that's great, and it's great that it's doing so well. I've seen so many posts about it. It's so it's great, wonderful way to uh, to kick off a book for sure. And I got my copy by the way, Sam. Our ours, ours arrived. It made all made it all the way over here, which is faster than we we can get at something into the Yukon, as I said last time. But that's another story. Grant, what
5: have you got for us? We've got Horizons Unlimited travelers' meetings. We have had so many people asking us, you know, is this on? Is that on? Is that event on? When's it happening? We've got people asking to be put onto an updates list so that when we open registration, they can get told about it. There's a lot of pent up demand. I think people are just dying to get out and go and get some travel planning done, and meet people and see their old friends at events. So we're really looking forward to the season. Um, We've got um, North America, we've got California, April 14 to 17, and then the week right after that, April 21 to 24, uh, the Hum Cascades and Can West, two weekends in a row, June 3 to 12. Um, That's going to be just full, and lots of people are coming for that. Newfoundland is on August 12 to 14, and uh, Europe is getting going very strongly germany 26 to 29 may and switzerland in august got romania france and germany autumn is happening sweden is happening and we've got a couple others that are kind of in the planning we'll see but we're not sure but there's at least half a dozen in europe and of course south africa is always on that's going to be that's always a fantastic event good fun um so that's that's the lineup. We're going to have quite a few events, lots of demand, lots of interest. So get your planning done. If you're going to hit the road or even in your own local area, start planning your trip to coincide with an HU Travelers meeting. You can make it fun and have a good time on the way.
1: Do you know, I'm just, as you've been talking about that, Grant, I'm just sitting here thinking about all of the grins that are going to be exchanged as everybody links up together again.
5: Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just people are just dying. It's to go. so
0: needed, isn't it? HorizonsUnlimited.com, yeah. by the way, is the website. You
5: better believe it.
0: And it would be forward slash events for the event. Slash events. events. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, that is wonderful. Once again, this month, I've just had a great time sitting down with all you guys and, and doing this. Thank you very much.
5: Thank you, Jim.
4: Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Thanks, all. So have a good
3: one. Good one.
4: Good one.
3: Uh,
4: good
0: well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy-Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get eBooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a motor traveler that also has a couple of great motor travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for for traveling overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website horizonsunlimited.com special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin my name is jim martin thank you for listening join us again next time oh and don't forget if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here drop by our website you can also look at the show notes I have some more information in here you can make comments on the show notes adventureriderradio.com